Hello, welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood. Hey, all right. Welcome back. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about supplements. Uh, first, this week, a series one of two here on supplements. Uh, this week, we're going to set a little bit of the ground rules, some basic assumptions around supplementation, and uh, maybe dip our toes a little bit into the water of uh, anti-doping and kind of what that what that's all about and what the intersection of doping and supplementation is. Uh, and then the next episode, we'll dive into some specific supplements uh, and talking about how those may impact your performance. Yeah. So next episode is the juicy uh, individual supplements that uh, maybe we like, but this episode gives the philosophy behind supplements and what you might, you know, why, why should you supplement? What, what are you trying to get out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think generally speaking, if you survey athletes, I mean, we can probably just talk about between the two of us, uh, what our experience is or sort of our thoughts on taking supplements and like, why, why might I take a supplement? So I mean, I'm happy I'll, I'll, I'll go first here. Uh, so I think to me, there's at least two big reasons I think about it, why I want to consider a supplement. So one, I think it, there's taking this substance will improve my performance in some capacity or improve my ability to train, improve my ability to reach my performance goals. Easy enough. And I think the second reason is I'm concerned that I have some deficit from my diet uh, of some nutrient, and therefore I'm taking this supplement uh, as an insurance, basically, to make sure that I'm not missing anything and then in so doing that my you know, nutritional needs are met. I'm not leaving anything out, not leaving anything on the table, and therefore avoiding any detrimental effects of being uh, deficient in some nutrient. Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head. If you look at supplements and you categorize them into two groups, the one group is uh, studies show that if we include this, uh, you know, we'll perform better. And then the other group is I, you know, either I sweat a lot or I have a lot of growth of uh, muscle mass or something like that. And I want to make sure I have enough uh, pre-factors in order to get my body to work properly. So I'm, I'm on the same boat in terms of uh, that's probably the main reason to take something. The other reason could be um, when you said two groups, I initially thought performance and recovery. Those okay. are also two ways that you could categorize supplements. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, I guess the other thought is there may be some social pressure involved with that, right? It's like, oh yeah, I heard my competitor was taking, or I saw such and such athlete is taking this this supplement, or you know, sponsored by this company and takes this supplement. There, if it's good enough for him or her, must be good enough for me. Maybe I should add that in, right? The, Falling, falling under the trap of advertising or the social pressure. Uh, yeah, there, there are some athletes who say it won't hurt or it won't slow me down. Mm -hmm. And uh, they'll take this cocktail and say, well, it won't make me slower. And actually, uh, maybe we can talk about this uh, next episode, but I have found studies that uh, excessive intake of some supplements actually slow you down and decrease your, um, your recovery and stuff like that. If we went back to our... Um exercise and immunity podcast i believe i'll say it was high doses of vitamin e you have to reference that one to be certain but yeah, vitamin e high, is like high you know, everyone likes it nobody likes it everybody likes it but that you know at least a couple of studies were pointing out that if you took high doses it actually impaired your immunity so indeed mm -hmm. there are uh, instances where you know something that seems good uh, maybe in higher doses is not actually helping you out Sure. Or, and, you know, certainly this idea of like first do no harm. Well, maybe I shouldn't have taken that. Maybe that's actually detrimental in the long right. run. Right. And well, this goes back to this overarching topic that we have, which is um, it's not 
as much as possible. It's not as little as possible. It's the right amount. And this is training. This is hydration. This is sleep. You don't want too much. You don't want too little. You want the right amount. And so to say, oh, well, I'll just take this. More is better than nothing. It's like, no, the right amount is the right amount. And, you know, right. more, and you too much or too less is wrong. Find the Goldilocks zone. Right. Yeah. And for, for all of those things and seeing if we can align all those things across the different domains uh, is, is the ideal. We have like a hundred dimensional uh, graph here that we're trying to tweak each individual variable in the right direction. Huh? Yeah. And I, I mean, I imagine, you know, as you as you move one one way, you know, your, your target for the next thing moves. Right. Yeah. You train a little bit harder. So now you need more carbohydrates and protein in your diet. Now you need to sleep more. And so it's a it's a moving target. I think that's why, that's why we race, right? Like we, we do all this training and then we go out and we do a race and you, you could just look at your FTP and like, Oh yeah, your FTP is higher. So, you know, it is, it is, you're, you're going to win, but obviously there's more to it than that. And I think that's part of is, you know, sometimes those things just magically align for you on the right day. And that's what makes the sport exciting. Absolutely. Competing. So you have a document that we're going to reference a lot in this episode. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. So there's uh, this one, the next one. Uh, so is a 2018 paper. It was uh, so it's IOC consensus statement on dietary supplements and the high performance athlete. So it's quite comprehensive. It goes through well. It it looks at a lot of the best research. Um, it doesn't touch on every supplement under under the sun, uh, but a lot of them, and it, it tries to classify them, you know, in in useful ways. I think as far as is this one proven? Is this one have promising evidence? Does this one have you know little to no evidence? And maybe what are the, the different applications for these supplements? Is it a nutrient deficit? Is it performance enhancement? And then specifically, like what domain of performance enhancement are we talking about? Um, I I would like to go a little further when I classify supplements, at least in in my mind. Um, so I sort of in so one way I think about it is sort of dividing the macronutrients and the micronutrients out from one another. And I'm not, you know, okay, well, where do you put an amino acid? It's part of a protein. So is it a macronutrient? So or... you're, well, initially you're saying anything we ingest is a supplement if we want to be uh, yeah, well, super broad about it. I mean, I guess if you look at a, a research paper, uh, you can, I'm sure you can find a research paper that says something about carbohydrate supplementation during endurance exercise. And what it looks at is, Somebody was drinking what we would call a sports drink compared to a control group that was drinking water. And they would call it a carbohydrate supplement. Right. You know, they may call it an electrolyte supplement perhaps, but, you know, depending on what it is. But so to me, I guess that I don't think about that as a supplement. I think about it as like, that's just part of what you should probably be doing. It's like, that's that's best practice. I guess in my mind, supplements are these things that are more of a marginal gain, perhaps, that allow for that versus you think you know, if you have carbohydrates during endurance exercise, you're going to be better off than not. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that to me is fairly obvious. And I, I would say the same thing for like uh, carbohydrate recovery drink and having protein in your recovery. Drink. Okay. I think that's fairly. And I guess the other thing for me is that's something that whether it came in a, a fancy drink out of a powder or I could get it from natural food, right? Like you could drink a sports drink during your bike ride. You could drink orange juice during your bike ride mm. i couldn't stomach orange juice but you know you you could get carbohydrates and the things that you need out of orange juice just the same as you could the sports drink right so it's, it's hard to define exactly what a supplement is but these sort of obvious uh things that could be replaced by natural foods sort of don't don't uh, at least not not for get the me right i mean i think that's more about convenience like oh yeah i put this powder in my bag and then i mix it with water in the gym after my workout 
instead of bringing yogurt and a banana and you yeah, know, or other like things. a piece of steak. <laughs> right. That, yeah. That's exactly it. I think to me, the supplements are a more targeted towards micronutrients, mm-hmm. um, substances that you wouldn't get in that concentration in a, an amount of food that you would eat. Yeah, like how much uh, spinach do you need to eat to get like one dose of iron? Um, right. Yeah. I mean, you have to eat like two or three bags in the grocery store. You know, that's just not feasible. Right. So, uh, you know, that, so. The, the micronutrient that you get in the concentrated form is a supplement because of how much food you might need to eat and to reach a similar amount. Right. That's how I think about it. Or things that, again, like I'm going to supplement with a specific uh, amino acid. There's a lot of research around uh, glutamine. Great. I can get glutamine if I ate a steak or I ate beans, right? It, it is an amino acid. It's a component of the proteins, but I wouldn't get that much, that high of a dose without eating a whole bunch. Um, so now I'm doing this very specific thing and also in theory, making it much easier for my body to access mm-hmm. um, because now it's, it's broken down. Like I think you would, I would say the same of omega-3 fatty acids, right? Like, sure. You could eat uh, salmon filet, but but you know, like you're trying to get this very concentrated form in a higher dose in the in the world of like taking a supplement. Yeah, I would also say an interesting uh, idea around supplements is the bulk ingestion of it. Um, if you have like salmon, it's an entire meal, and there's you know there is the fish oil in it, but there's also all this other protein and stuff, uh, other um, macronutrients, other micronutrients. It's this bulk ingestion of fish oil supplements that, you know, gives it all at once that mm-hmm. really like separates supplements from some sort of food. Yeah. So the, the concentration, I think, is one is one factor. Um, and then I think micro versus macro for me is another factor. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, things you wouldn't necessarily consume, you know, as it were. Right. Like, I don't think you go and figure out how, to, how much creatine you're going to get out of your uh, your chicken or your steak, right? Like it's just not something we think about. Um, but you can go get creatine in a powder form and consume it before you work out. What do you think of um, sort of these like these uh, supplement cocktails? Do you consider them like? Are we going to delve into uh, the sort of like this? You know, this this pill will make you like ride twice as fast. Like those sort of supplements, or are we talking more about specific? Uh, micronutrient supplements i'm thinking more along the lines of micronutrients or these specific things like a creatine or like um, baking soda for example okay um, as opposed to like uh, a branded thing that's oh well we took this nutrient and that nutrient and we read these three research papers and we were convinced that you know we put these three things together magical things would happen for your writing performance and that makes sense that you would want to stick to the the most basic supplement because that's what the white papers are written on and we, you don't have white paper on this blend this proprietary blend you have the white papers on like we only gave them this one nutrient and we saw what happened yep absolutely usually the um the studies are very specific in that way to evaluate the effects of one intervention one chemical on the individual's performance sometimes there's no interactions uh well we can speak to this one but it's like a vitamin d and calcium right? we know that has to do with bone health um, there are studies where they supplement vitamin D and calcium and they see, you know, reduced incidence of stress fractures in military trainees. Okay. Like, so that, like there's, there are some known combinations, uh, that you'll see. And I, but I think that's also been established from, you know, other studies beforehand, before you go and you put these things together. Like they know mechanistically from some bench science and such that, okay, these things have an interaction. It's reasonable to believe that if we you know, intervened and provided both, that we get a better effect than either alone. So yeah, I think that's the sort of 
the basis is picking the the individual things and then and then working through those and then trying to use like this particular paper tries to look at the highest level evidence so the randomized controlled trials and the systematic reviews of randomized controlled trials because i think the thing with scientific research is you can have one paper that says ah take supplement x it makes you you know ride seven you know seven percent faster for ten percent longer but then it was only it was done with a small sample or it was done on you know couch potatoes not elite athletes so you really have to look at the whole body of a given supplement the whole body of research and say okay what's the sum what's the what's the effect and then also try to apply it to a population which is like yourself or like the population interest so i think what i really like about this particular paper is that they were really focused on the high performance athlete so they really selected and looked for studies that use these interventions not always in high performance athletes but military trainees right is is better than you know random college students if you want to try to extrapolate to what the performance might look like uh, in an olympic level athlete or a high level athlete I think another thing that's important is to realize what the supplement is doing. So a lot of these papers will say we saw, you know, increased time to failure, we saw increased maximum power output, we saw increased, you know, whatever. And if you if you're looking for you know a higher threshold and you're taking a supplement that helps you with your max power output, you might be missing the mark there. So it's a, it's also important to make sure that the supplements aren't like there is that negative potential negative consequence of taking a supplement that isn't directly benefiting you. So if if you're just taking this supplement for maximum sprint power and your sprint is fine and it's good, and uh, instead you actually want something for your FTP, uh, you should probably hold off on the uh, on that max power supplement. Just make sure that you you really only consume what you're trying to get a benefit from. Yeah, I think the other thing when it comes to ergogenic aids, um, this might be like spoiling the whole next episode, right? Is like if you look at the results from any one, right? Like, oh, this gives you two percent. This gives you two percent. This gives you three percent. Whatever the percentage is, you know. And, and there have been some people that look at this say, so, oh, well, there's these two things that give you two percent benefit. So like, if you put them together, shouldn't you get four percent? And it turns out that you don't usually get four percent. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, is that overlapping cellular mechanisms? Is that partially that uh, belief effect or placebo effects kicking in there? And you took this thing, so now you feel like you can go two percent faster, whether or not you know you actually yeah. uh, are you know physiologically more capable of going two percent faster. So I think that there's those things that we also have to watch out for and understand that. Oh well, I read you know I read these five studies, and there's you know, five things that are supposedly supposed to give me two percent increase in these different domains. Therefore, I I'll be almost ten percent faster. Like, let me sign my pro, pro contract tomorrow. Eh, that might not be the case because if it were, we'd see the world record continuously coming down, right? Yeah, and I think what's also interesting is the consumption of these. Like, professional athletes consume so many supplements, and uh, I don't know if that's a cultural thing, like you said, or if it's um, maybe like there's like a mythos to it of like, I, I need to do everything I can to be the best athlete mm-hmm. that I can. And people sometimes say, Oh, well, you know, they can afford these fancy supplements or they can, you know, they, they they're having so many different things and maybe I need to have a bunch of different things. I'll be fast too. And at the end of the day, it's actually your training that causes the most uh, increase in stimulus. So yeah, the uh, one, one good um, 
phrase for how micronutrients or supplements could help you is they're like the spark plugs to your engine. And if you have good brand new spark plugs, you know, your engine will definitely, um, you know, be a bit snappier, but at the end of the day, you know, the engine needs to be a good, strong engine, you know, regardless. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't make uh, an eight cylinder out of a four cylinder with new spark plugs. It yeah. just doesn't happen, right? You, you need an eight cylinder to start with, and then you can you can get there. So uh, let's dive into the paper a little bit. Okay, you want to you want to just think, talk about like the high level overview here and kind of what what the framework is. Sure. So they they first talked about what we just talked about, which is like why why do athletes use supplements? Um, and they talked a little bit about prevalence. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you care. It turns out that the older you get, the more likely you are to use a supplement. Sure, you can afford them. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably that. You're probably like afraid that you're losing your edge or something. You're not as fast oh, okay. as you're as strong as you used to be. Um, you know, it, it depends on the sport that you're participating in. That's not surprising. I imagine there's different different needs for different sports, right? So like you, know, you play rugby, it's probably different demand than if you're an elite cyclist and if you're a gymnast so on and so forth. Um, interestingly, as you just said, it increases with the performance level. So, okay. you know, beginner less likely to be at least the reason right the beginner may have different reasons for taking a supplement but they're not explicitly taking it for the idea of improving their performance um more likely in men i don't know i guess it is what it is mm. um maybe that's the uh the back and forth sort of needing to keep up with the joneses effect yeah and then uh they said that, you know this there's a cultural component to it so whatever the the sporting and non-sporting culture that you're involved with um, will influence how likely you are to and in, to involve yourself in taking supplements so and that, that's the sort of the background there and then you know it's what were the different categories that they broke down so they they broke down sort of nutritional deficiency so i think that's that's a big one um which brings up another point that i failed to mention earlier i was thinking about supplements as you know you're taking supplements assuming that you have a decent baseline diet, right? That's always my assumption. It's like, yes, I'm eating healthy and I'm not eating fast food three times a day to try to fuel my athletic performance. Yeah, but now the the word healthy is even loaded already. Um, fair, fair enough. I mean, so I guess the alternative, an alternative way to think about this is, you know, I'm providing sufficient fuel for my body uh, yeah, in, so in, the, in the right macronutrient way specific to my sport, right? So if you're an endurance athlete, it's probably relatively higher carbohydrate content in your diet than if you're a strength athlete. Yep. And I think it also should assume like a moderate amount of um, fruit and vegetable intake as well. Yep. Um, so, you, so you get some of these baseline nutrients that um, there, are, there are some nutrients that are like, if you try to not consume them then you might have a deficiency. But if you, you know, you aren't paying attention to them explicitly, you don't have a deficiency. Yeah, it's, you're very... If you're eating a balanced diet, getting your macronutrients in, eating fruits and vegetables, you know, you're probably hitting the mark um, across most of the the vitamins and minerals you need. And and well, for a sedentary uh, individual, and uh, one reason to supplement is it because of the demands of your sport and the demands on your body, how much recovery you have to do. You put so much stimulus into your body, uh, you may have higher demands for these micronutrients. Yep, I think that's fair. Um, so they, you know. They, always, they started off with the thing that I don't call supplements, which is like sports foods, right? So your energy gels, your sports drinks, all, all that stuff, um, which like, okay, fine. And they, you know, summarized the thing that we all know. Hey, if you consume carbohydrate during your exercise, great. You're, you're better off than not. 
Um, so, and they, they, they basically said like, well, you know, use, use the right amount to fuel your needs. Okay. Well, we, we knew that. Thanks guys. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the high level summary on that one. And then, so then we talk about, um, things that improve performance directly, the known ones, things that may improve performance, um, indirectly. And, and then, you know, there's just varying levels of evidence and there's also, they touch on, um, supplements for nutritional deficiencies. Um, which are there? There are some common ones actually in the athletic population okay. uh, that we can talk we can talk through, and I, I think some may impact cyclists. Do so, they have a section on things that definitely don't work? Uh, they they did not go into that. Oh, okay. I I think that list would be too long, <laughs> or uh, they might get too many like litigation uh, issues or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, I think that's again the, my point earlier about you know respecting the the body of work when it comes to research, right? Like if you tell me a supplement, I'm pretty sure I can find you one research paper that'll convince you it, it's good for you. Yeah. On the flip side, I can also probably find you one research paper that will tell you it's not going to make a difference um, relative to a placebo, but you have to look at the whole, like the sum of it all to figure out what the real answer is. And, you know, then there's obviously trends, right? Like the, the things that are actually proven to work have study after study that show, yes, this is efficacious. And the things that are, you know, in this like may improve in performance are some studies show it improves it. Some studies don't. And, you know, they always say like good researcher, well, more research is needed because it's unclear at this time if this is a beneficial nutrient for you to intake. And there's always so many factors, right? Well, what, what is the person's diet? And even, you know, even to the point of what is the test they're using to determine the performance was improved? Uh, for example, like time to exhaustion is a tough one. Just how motivated were you to keep going at yeah. that point? Like, did you have a, do you want to get back to work or something? So or if you... there's like 12 people in the study and one person goes, yeah, I wasn't feeling great today. Like I had a bad night of sleep. Like I'm stressed out about you know, right. something Just else about my midterms or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and they were in the experimental group, right? They had, they had the supplement and not the placebo. And then they do, you know, fairly poorly. They're like an outlier, but there's only six people in the experimental group. So you can't really get rid of them. And then they tank the average. And now we've lost a new supplement that all athletes could have been using because this uh, 12 person study said there was no benefit. Yep. Although sometimes those studies just get buried. That's a, that's another, <laughs> another, another story. Uh, I mean, you know, on the flip side, right. You could tell that in the control group, right. You could say like all of a sudden someone in the control group tanks it. Right. And the, the performance of the experimental group is, marginally better but now somebody in the control group tanked it and now and not because the placebo made them worse because they weren't motivated and now all of a sudden you look at the delta and you're like oh wow on average taking the supplement actually improves performance by x right like so there's, there's a lot of little things and even that and again that's why looking at the whole body having a lot of um a lot of studies and a large in right, a large number of subjects go through and then evaluating the result Gives, gives you at least a better picture of like, okay, yeah, is this thing worth taking and what is it that it's going to do for me and how, how sure of it should I be? Like, yes, this is almost certain. Um, those are the things like caffeine and baking soda and creatine. It's pretty solid evidence um, as opposed to, well, maybe uh, like a, a beta alanine would be, mm. a beta alanine is kind of like on the fence. It's like moving over, over towards the bicarbonate. 
this point in time, at least from my my knowledge. So when I was doing a lot of research on supplements for my own use, I would go on Google Scholar and you'd say, you type in, you know, name of the supplement, endurance athlete, yep. um, as an attempt to try and bring to surface the endurance athlete specific uh, studies. And I think one thing that was really obvious to me was these ones that we all know, um, you go down the list and you're like, there's a study, there's a study, there's a study. And they just sort of pop out at you. And ones that are more on the fence, you really have to scroll through and, you know, oh, here's one on, oh, that's not endurance athletes. Oh, this, this one's on, oh, it's like not the right, you, you know, it's like you, you sort of get the right study, but then you only find one and then you have to go through a few more pages and like, maybe you find another one It you can almost tell just by the search results. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like looking at the first few pages, like, nah, yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's one study. Yeah. It's it has really good results, but like, it's too hard to find a second study versus the ones that are really well-documented are like, there's another one. There's another one. Here's a review. Um, you know, here's another study. So, I mean, we're, we might as well go down this path since you started it. And I, I love Google scholar as a tool and I, and I love, I mean, this is how I find the research that we talk about here is I usually go through Google Scholar and, and do some searching. Um, I guess you know, this may be useful for listeners. Like if you're interested in this stuff, this particular supplement that you're intrigued about or something we talk about and you're like, okay, well, I just want to research that myself. What's the, the best way to do that? Or how do I find the thing quickly that may pertains to what I'm looking for? Um, so yeah, Google Scholar, I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, also PubMed, if you're interested in that, it's a, it's a national free public database that... Google Scholar and PubMed overlap quite a bit. Um, the So like Jason said, yeah, put in supplement name, uh, endurance athletes in a good key, key search. If you look through enough of these studies, they usually talk about trained or well-trained individuals. Um, there's a classification of the type of individual who's in the study as opposed to an untrained. So you probably want to look for like well-trained or trained individuals uh, when you're looking at the population they use. Obviously, larger sample size is better uh, without going into the statistics. That makes a difference. Uh, I think newer studies are usually better because they've had they have the benefit of looking at all the past research when they did their research design. Um, yep. So you can, say, oh, and you can filter by the number of years since the study. Yep. So you know, using that I think helps you get closer to what you're looking for, uh, and then just you know, if you can get through the abstract and what one of the things I always look for from looking at endurance stuff is I try to find what the VO2 max of the subjects was if they took that. And like, well, so what, like how, how trained are these people? Are we talking about 45 or are we talking about 65, right? And if it's 65, that's a pretty well-trained person. And if they are seeing an improvement, like, okay, that's, that's interesting. If you told me somebody at 45 improved by 20%, like, eh, okay, that's good. But what happens if they're at, like, yeah. So like looking, looking through some of that stuff, I think to understand um, if you're curious about a specific supplement, it goes it goes a long way uh, to, you know, like you don't have to have a PhD in statistics or be a research scientist by any stretch. I think a lot of this stuff you can really, if you have some some basic keywords to like wade through the thousands and thousands of papers on nutrient supplements. If you get, you know, if you said, I'm just gonna look at the last, like the five, most recent five years, put in some key terms, you know, endurance athletes, or even like trying to be specific to cycling uh, I guess cycling, running, although both endurance sports are a little, little different demand on the body, uh, you know, get specific. You can probably get a pretty good idea in two to three papers of is this thing legitimate or 
is not doing anything for me or maybe we're, we're on the fence. Yeah, or may even pose a risk. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so let's transition to a little bit about uh, anti-doping stuff, which is uh, it always comes sort of hand in hand with supplements. And uh, I mean, it's uh, anti-doping is intentionally designed to prevent you from taking, uh, you know, nefarious supplements. And so how, how do we make sure that our supplements are good and what's, you know, what are the no-nos, this sort of thing? Well, I mean, I think there's there's a ginormous list um, from USADA or water, whomever you like to reference. Um, you know, I think the challenge with supplements is there's not a ton of regulation around them, right? When you talk about FDA, like they don't regulate the supplements. It's a massive industry, but there's, you know, very limited regulation. So it's it's very hard to know. And um, more, more than a few athletes at least have claimed that the, you know, they're doping positive was the result of a tainted supplement. Um, and I think that's been confirmed, you know, to align that the athlete was telling the truth uh, on a number of cases there. So, you know, certainly you want to, you need to be careful with what you're taking. There are these um, services that verify the purity of supplements. Again, the regulation there, like they're supposed to, they're independent bodies. They're supposed to be, you know, playing by the rules, but who knows? Like, you know, who knows if somebody slipped them a little cash behind the scenes to mm-hmm. say it was okay when it wasn't. Um, but I think, you know, that sort of idea, right? I hate to say this, but it's probably one of those areas where you get what you pay for. Like, yeah. Supplements are definitely, you get what you pay for to a point. Uh, yeah. I mean, eventually, yeah, for sure. For sure. eventually it's like, this is the most pure blah, blah, blah. You're like, eh, okay, I can like, maybe you don't need. The... I can pay 80% of that. Yeah. Uh, it's, um... It should be good. <laughs> But I think a, a good counter to uh, what, what you're saying about these tainted supplements is um, I always like to give the example of the uh, there's every Halloween there's the article about putting um, marijuana candies in your kid's uh, candy bag yep. and uh, the, the quick rebuttal from uh, people you know in the know, they sort of say, why would I put my expensive gummies in your kid's uh, you know Halloween bag? And so there is a certain argument of like, I'm not going to put testosterone in in this other supplement because testosterone is much more expensive than me just providing you with the product that I'm advertising. Right, that I'm claiming some some herb versus, yeah. And so, you know, you have to find a balance there with the risk of, you know, if I'm, if I'm just taking this, um, you know, magnesium supplement, it's not hard to get magnesium. And um, what's the incentive for them to put in some, some nefarious uh, banned substance? Although I guess maybe there's a, a curve here, right? To your point, like, well, maybe that supplement that's really, really expensive is actually the one that uh, has the the banned stuff in it because they could they wanted you to believe that it was making you better. It was because mm. it had something that it shouldn't have had in it and is really expensive because they're putting the extra thing in it. Yeah, right? so we're we're retracting our original statement <laughs> with the. You uh, get what you pay for to a point. Yeah, well, I guess that's don't don't pay too much. Yeah, if you pay too much, it might be tainted. Yeah, you might yeah. you might be suspect. I, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it, it does raise an interesting interesting consideration, right? Right. So I think. Uh, it's, it's hard to know for sure, but speaking with uh, some of my colleagues in the sport, it's, uh, you know, you, you almost have to really be doing something wrong to get in trouble with anti-doping. Um, you have to be taking, you know, some, some weird herbal supplement or, um, 
you know, some protein powder that's, you know, got a little extra um, advertised with it. It's, it's not normal. You know, these athletes who had taken or proven that they'd taken um, tainted supplements weren't taking a magnesium supplement. They were taking, um, here's this herb from this thing or, or something that's like a little more out there. So if you're mm -hmm. just trying to cover your bases, make sure you don't have any deficiencies. You really don't have to worry too much about this anti-doping stuff. And um, if you do want to go into the uh, the wild west of all the crazy um, things that, you know, the, the crazier the supplements, the less really well-founded studies uh, sure and there's there's more ambiguity with the success of them but if you're a professional these guys are you know even more desperate for the performance gain so they're more willing to experiment with these uh, stranger options and if you are interested in going into that i think you really need to do your research you really need to make sure you're getting from a good company and you know, do all the background checks and it starts to get pretty expensive at that point. Um, but you know, if you're really into it, then it, it's probably worth it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to go with your point, you know, what's, what's the probability that, uh, in your, your regular canister sports drink that you got at the bike shop, you're going to have a tainted substance, like probably zero, you yeah. know, but Hey, I got this crazy balm from somewhere exotic. Eh, you know, who knows? Yeah. So, I mean, just, you know, what seems more likely to show up as a red flag on the, uh, on the anti-doping, um, list. The other thing about, uh, anti-doping that, uh, is it's interesting, maybe a bit divergent from supplements is, um, especially with amateur anti-doping in the U S they, they have to give you a full doping test. Like the, the bylaws state that you have to, you're, you know, you have a right to a full test and, the full test kit is, uh, I was told somewhere around like five grand and to get the truck to do the testing is, you know, thousands of dollars to get it to your race site. And so it's really tough for USADA to test amateurs mm -hmm. because each person that they test is five grand. The truck is uh, really expensive. They have all these protocols that they have to follow. And so to, to show up and to test the podium at your local P12 race is, uh, it's it's really tough and it's, it's very unlikely that they would do it and um i mean that doesn't mean that you should dope that means that we're all here just to have fun uh and you know there are people who are getting paid semi pros or um, low level pros who are sort of desperate uh to make it to the top level and that's usually where you see most of the the anti-doping issues is these people who are like i just need to be three percent better and I'll, I'll be in the tour de france and um, then they make some uh, some wrong decisions, but I would say for the most part, uh, anti doping in in the U.S. is um, hey, this guy was a mid pack masters rider, and now he looks like a gorilla uh, this year. And la you know, last year he was nothing, and now he's like huge, and his sprint power is crazy, and his veins are popping out of his neck. Uh, usually, at that point, you you would uh, notify USADA and say, hey, like look at this dude, he looks like pretty juiced up. Uh, and then they would do a, a pointed test and they would show up to a race that they know that that person, you know, pre-registered for or something like that. And they would test just them. Uh, so it's a lot more effective to work on pre-existing knowledge than to sort of blindfold yourself and pick, you know, the, yep. the podium athletes. So, um, you know, there are different, um, there are different arguments about the prevalence of doping in amateur cycling and, um, everybody has their own opinion. It's hard to prove and we probably shouldn't dive into it too much, but, uh, in summary, 
Uh, I don't know if it's as much of a concern if you're um, if you're a well-intentioned supplement user. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're well if you're well-intentioned, again, your your odds of going awry or you know going outside the rules should be pretty small. Um, you know, and I think everybody's got to make a personal decision, right? Of like what what they're what's acceptable for them. Uh, what what risks they're willing to take, what you know, how far they're willing to push the the boundaries where their ethical line is, and you know, we can't tell you what that is. Um, we can just tell you what the research says as far as supplements to take and such. Yeah, we'll stick to the uh, white papers, huh? Yeah, well, where where we have evidence. So, uh, what else do you have for our um, overview essay, or is it is it time to uh, dive into the? Um, I think the I juicy think, episode. I think that's a, a good outline without going too far off on a tangent about one, any one thing. Um, so I think we set out some good assumptions as far as what is a supplement, uh, which is you know basically not this this thing that isn't your food that isn't uh, you know uh, something you we all know about like having carbohydrates when you ride. Um, it's probably a micronutrient. Uh, and it's, you know, or if it is something you would get from food, it's in a concentration much greater than you could consume at any one point. Um, and then we, you know, obviously there's a different reasons, but I think at the end of the day, right. Performance cycling podcast, we're, we're intended to talk about this in terms of also how, how is taking supplement X going to improve how I ride, right. Either short or long term. So I think, I think with that, that gives us a good, uh, set of assumptions, some good ground rules uh, as we go on to our next episode and we can talk about some specific supplements and how they impact uh, elite athletic performance or don't in some cases. Yep. So uh, catch you there. Yeah. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.